It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. This football season will be different, and Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day no matter how you watch this season. Pepsi is the refreshment you need to power through game day and become a member of the League of Football Watchers. These passionate fans are the real generational talent that Pepsi fuels because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game, it's made for those who watch it. Pepsi, made for football. Watching. You are Locked On Bengals, your daily Cincinnati Bengals podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Locked On Bengals Podcast. I'm your host, Jake Lisko, along with my co-host, James Rapine, and special guest for the second day in a row. We have a guest, and we'll have a third tomorrow, but today, Joe Goodberry makes his second reappearance on the Locked On Bengals podcast since his retirement. We're going to talk with him about Zach Taylor's promise to review scheme during the bye that he talked about during his press conference on Monday. Joe, welcome back. How's it going? It's going as good as it can. I mean, it's it's kind of fun that the uh, Bengals haven't lost in two weeks now. I mean, it's been a long time since we've been able to say that. And even then, in the bye week, they were able to gain two spots in the draft. So either way you're looking at it, it was a good bye week. You know, there are some Bengals fans out there, Joe, believe it or not, that are looking at the playoffs in 2020. So they did not make up ground, to my knowledge, in the playoff race, although that is not something I've been monitoring. But, hey, maybe we'll talk about that a little bit later in the show as well when we talk about what are we expecting in the back half. But let's get started with Zach Taylor's comments in his press conference today about scheme evaluation during the bye week. Zach Taylor, during his press conference, made clear that his big priority was how is the scheme doing so far? What are the things we want to change? And Bengals fans all remember last year, the narrative about coming home from England during the bye week, the same week of the season, evaluating scheme, and we saw significant changes afterwards. We saw the running game get jump-started in a big way. Didn't end up mattering so much in terms of wins and losses, But with a successful passing game so far this year, especially in the last three weeks when the Bengals offense has been among the most efficient in the NFL, I wonder what scheme changes he's looking at this year. Joe, I want to start with you. From what you've seen this year and the trends we've seen, and Zach Taylor did talk about trends, what are you expecting schematically to change in the second half? I think it's funny that he did mention last year and how much they revamped the run game. I mean, last year was more of a necessity, right? They had to. They had to figure something out because the offense wasn't working at all. The ground game wasn't working at all. They're getting terrible quarterback play. Plus, I think right around the on the horizon was the benching of Andy Dalton and starting Ryan Finley for a handful of games, which I they may have had one eye on and needed to get that run game going to supplement that. Though, so this year, and I think it's true every year. Your bye week is your self-evaluation period. I think it's really hard to um, be critical of your own team 
you're usually watching film of the, the next opponent. You may digest the film on Sunday night into Monday morning, and then you kind of throw it out and you keep what works and, you know, try and keep moving as the weeks progress throughout the season. So you, that self-evaluation week can be really big for good teams. They'll look at it. And of course, adjustments are already being made throughout the year, but this is your opportunity to really make big adjustments and big swings and throw out things that don't work or haven't worked. Or you can reset and say, all right, We've been able to do this. We haven't been able to do this. Can we win without that factor or without being able to accomplish whatever that is, whether that be the deep ball this year that they've struggled with but have gotten better with? Uh, there's a lot of different things. Can you can you survive without it? And if you can't or if you can, then you're good to go. If you can't, this is the week to make the adjustment. And the Bengals offense is, is obviously over the past couple of weeks been really, really good since week five against the Ravens. They're scoring 30-plus a week, moving the ball up and down the field. Is that sustainable, the way they're doing that, getting the ball out of Joe Burrow's hands? Is that the part, if you're Zach Taylor, you look at? Because I think Pittsburgh and, and opposing defenses are going to say, all right, well, let's try to make them beat us over the top because we know our pass rush is going to get there before our defender or b- before our cornerbacks get beat. Yeah, I think it is sustainable because Burrow's so good. Like, if it was Andy Dalton, I would have said, no, it's not sustainable because we've seen a short to maybe sometimes intermediate passing attack with Dalton, and I go – these defenses are starting to creep down. They're really starting to make these windows tighter. They're starting to make everything more contested. We haven't seen it much with Burrow yet because I think defenses are still a little bit nervous about him. You see it already. If they blitz, man, he adjusts, and the next time they send it, they get beat with it. Or if they start playing off coverage, the Bengals will pick them apart. They come down lower. Burrow's not afraid to hold it and find someone that's the third, fourth read. So I see defenses sending guys or keeping guys back a little bit more often now because – Burrow will get to that third and fourth guy where Dalton wouldn't. So I think that's a huge thing where defenses are worried about getting beat because of that. So I do think it's sustainable. But the other part is maybe it's not the offense that they're really trying to revamp this year. Maybe it's the defense. Maybe they look at it and say, okay, it's trending in the wrong direction. Something has to be done. We've made a move with personnel-wise with, with Carlos Dunlap. So how do we fix this defense? And how do we get these guys on the same page in order to really give this offense more of a shot than they have been? I think it's going to be interesting on both sides of the ball. On the one hand, on the offensive side, you've had no Joe Mixon, who's your big re-signing of the offseason, and the offense has been humming right along without him. The other thing that I think is really interesting that you mentioned about the tight window stuff, and you would see those windows start to get tighter and tighter when Andy Dalton was back there in previous years, they've been tight all season for Joe Burrow. And he's throwing into those tight windows and completing in those tight windows really with with successful but somewhat reckless abandon, I would say. I mean, I'm not calling the throws reckless, but he's forced to make them in those tight windows, and it's working. Going to be interesting to see how that carries into the second half. And on the defensive side of the ball, some of those adjustments made a little bit harder today with several Bengals defenders, including Mackenzie Alexander, Marcus Hunt, and Jordan Evans, all on the COVID list over the weekend and into Monday. And it is important to note that when you do have players go on the COVID reserve list, it doesn't mean they necessarily tested positive. So we're not sure about Alexander. We're not sure about Jordan Evans or even Marcus Hunt if they p- tested positive. What we do know is that they could be a close contact, which would mean if they test negative, they could return to the team within five days of that close contact and they'll be tested each and every day there. So uh, that's one thing to note. And Zach Taylor didn't offer any details when it came to Fred Johnson or anything like that on Monday when he talked and he said he was going to leave it up to the transaction list about updating 
uh, any of the guys that are dealing with COVID or are on the COVID reserve list. So it's really something we're just going to have to monitor throughout the week and see potentially if any of these guys can be good to go on Sunday against the Steelers. Up next, Joe Goodberry going to stick around here on Locked On Bengals. We're going to dive into maybe the Joe Mixon dilemma. Giovanni Bernard in this offense has looked pretty good with Mixon out. We'll do that and more next right here on Locked On Bengals. But first, this football season is different, as we've seen with the Bengals in the COVID reserve list over the past coming days. And Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day, no matter how you watch this season. Me personally, I'm going to watch Steelers-Bengals in the comfort of my own home, like I'm sure you are. And Pepsi is the refreshment you need to power through game day and become a member of the League of Football Watchers. These passionate fans are the real generational talent that Pepsi fuels because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game. It's made for those who watch it. Pepsi, made for football, watching. Taser is on a mission to help you protect your loved ones safely. Taser's line of non-lethal self-protection devices are small and lightweight enough to carry with you or in your glove compartment or purse, yet they're powerful enough to incapacitate an attacker. Guns carry unnecessary risks for you and those around you, and even pepper spray can harm you as much as an attacker, and it's often ineffective. Taser products are safer and easy to use. They use an electric charge to immobilize attackers for up to 30 seconds, allowing you time to escape and send emergency dispatch to your GPS location. Taser devices come loaded with features like laser-assisted targeting and emergency dispatch, which will send response teams to your GPS location upon firing. More than 237,000 lives have been saved with the Taser network of devices, apps, and personnel. Protect yourself and your family with Taser's line of smart self-defense products. Taser is available without a permit in most U.S. states. You can get the Taser Pulse Plus or Taser Strike Light at taser.com with promo code NFL. Save 15% now at taser.com using promo code NFL. That's T-A-S-E-R.com. Promo code NFL. Restrictions apply. See site for details. The Bengals offense was rolling before the bye. And obviously, Zach Taylor in this offense wants to keep it going in the final eight weeks of the season. How big of a coincidence is it? And, and Joe, let's start with you. How big of a coincidence is it that the moment Joe Mixon goes down, this offense with Giovanni Bernard, and we know he's a better pass blocker, but this offense with Giovanni Bernard at running back primarily is an, a well-oiled machine. And just, you know, the, the two games, won against the Browns and then the win over the Titans, Giovanni Bernard looks like it's 2013 all over again, and, and he's playing at a high level. And this offense isn't missing a beat and everything's clicking. How much of that is Gio? How much of that is what he brings? And how much of it is Joe Mixon getting in the way or the coaching staff force-feeding in the ball? You know, some of it can be labeled as coincidental because I, I think we should expect continued growth from Joe Burrow, and we've definitely seen that playing as good as, you know, I think we should expect really the uh, the last couple of weeks. But uh, the pass protection, right, We that's the biggest concern we had coming into the year. It remains every week until other until, you know, they probably add a few more pieces or get rid of Jim Turner. Anyways. Giovanni Bernard is one of the better pass-protecting backs in the league. He has been throughout his entire career. Uh, even though they've wanted to mix Mixon into that you know spot as much as they could this year to, in order to get him involved in the passing game, 
there have been a few instances where you were like, yeah, if that's Geo, that blitz probably gets picked up. There probably isn't a miscommunication or the, the pocket's a little bit cleaner. Uh, so I think it had a big impact in that regard, hands down. But in terms of should it have as big of an impact as it does? Because I, I do think the offense has been clicking and has looked good because one part is you don't have to worry about who's in the backfield. You, you just go with Geo. You can run your offense. You can do whatever you want. He can do everything, just not you know, run the ball with the same power and toughness as Mixon. And on the totem pole of things that matter for your offensive output as a, as a team, how much is power running really worth? Probably not until you're closing out a game in the fourth quarter, which the Bengals never seem to be in that position anyway. So what I was going to say was it shouldn't be as big of a factor because Mixon should be much further along in the passing game than he is in year four. It's one of the reasons when they extended him, we all said, well, you're giving him this money. You better use him as the receiver we saw at Oklahoma. And they still haven't been able to do that. And sure, he's had some moments again. That's how it's always been throughout his career. But at the same time, you would think if they're going to like reset in the in the bye week, one of the things to me, you're getting a healthy mix and back, needs to be getting him involved in the passing game to the point where it's not a detriment to your offense to have him in the game rather than Giovanni Bernard. That will be the challenge for Zach Taylor. Another challenge for this team sticking with the offensive side of the ball is figuring out what to do on the offensive line. Fred Johnson on that COVID list. We don't know if he'll be able to come off it or not. I don't think we'll get an update on that for a few days. As, as you mentioned earlier, James, with Zach Taylor deferring to the transaction wire for updates on COVID for the Bengals. Bobby Hart may or may not be ready to come back at right tackle this week. Jonah Williams... I think people expect to be back at left tackle, but there's a chance that he's not ready. They've got Quentin Spain in there now in the guard mix. Mike Jordan probably going to be back. He just missed with an illness. Xavier Suofilo may be back. A lot of flux, and, and I guess Trey Hopkins, we should mention him too, coming off an injury. So could see a totally different starting five. Did you get an, ind- an inclination or do you have a feeling as to what the Bengals should be doing with guys like Quentin Spain, Mike Jordan, and Xavier Suofilo, or are, are you just expecting those guys are going to go to the bench? Because a lot of people really think Quentin Spain has a chance to or deserves to start, but I just wonder where are they going to put him because he's really been a left guard for most of or all of his career. Yeah, they've got a lot of guard options now, or at least interior offensive line, and B.J. Finney being another one, right? So um, they could shake it up if they want to. I wonder if that's in the best interest. Remember last time we saw Mike Jordan, he probably had his best game. Uh, Alex Redman has provided some stability. Now, has he been good? No, but he's had his moments as a power run blocker. If you want him as your right guard, that's not the worst thing in the world. He's cut down the penalties to an extent. Uh, they were really bad in the previous years. Now they're just sort of bad. So uh, I do think they could mix it up and go with a lot of different combinations. I don't know if that means they will this week. I also think there is room for right tackle to be shaken up a bit. I think Bobby Hart's having his best year, but like you said, he's hurt, and now we don't know what's going on with Fred Johnson. Does that mean it just is a key energy slid over there? It seemed like they wanted Adenogy to play left tackle. Even when that first game where Jonah went down, it was Fred Johnson. And all of a sudden, Bobby Hart gets hurt. They switch it all up, put Fred Johnson at right tackle and Adenogy at left tackle. So I don't know that he's ready to go over there. This may be a week of of prep for him. I wonder if Mike Jordan now is the next guy to play tackle. Uh, You look at the roster and you really wonder who's the next guy up if you get to that spot. 
to me, just based on look and ability and size, it would be Michael Jordan. So maybe he can move over to right tackle, and that opens up left guard for you. I just, I'm trying to think outside the box here because it's bye week, and the way Zach Taylor alluded to, uh, we could do anything. Yeah, and that's actually something that I was asked in the last week. They're like, who, who is the next tackle if Hart and, and Fred, Fred Johnson can't go? Assuming Jonah comes back and identity, who, who's your backup in that case? And and I didn't really know, and and I thought you know for, exactly like you did, Joe. From from a build perspective, Mike Jordan makes the most sense. But from a polish perspective, and from a what we've seen from Mike Jordan perspective, where we've seen him have, have issues, that that's like actually terrifying at, at right tackle. But like, who else do you put there? I mean, you talk about the other guards on the team. Quentin Spain definitely can't move enough to play on the edge. Alex Redmond, I think, doesn't have the build to do it. And the other guy would be Xavier Suofila, who, again, I don't think has the build to do it. So it might default to to uh, Mike Jordan because Trey Hopkins, I think, has played everywhere on the line, but they're not going to move him off center if he's available to play center. So I do think that's a very interesting question for them in this week. I haven't considered Hopkins, though. Actually, now that I think about it, he has played tackle in yeah. preseason games. I, I don't think he ever has in a regular season game, but he's played left, right, guard, and center now. I mean, if, if one of their deepest positions now is center. If Billy Price is going to be serviceable, and B.J. Finney has been serviceable in his career, yeah, maybe that's the option. Maybe one of those guys can kick to guard or tackle, and it being Hopkins, the only one probably having the ability because those guys, other guys are, are a little bit too small, short arms for sure, so... It's rare to see a center that could also play tackle, but I think that could be an option. That would be the one I would trust the most. Like if you, if you're saying who do you trust, and not that he's gonna be lights out or anything, but do you trust Trey Hopkins or do you trust Mike Jordan? To me, it's not close from that aspect, I guess. And you know, maybe that's not fair to Jordan, but I, I don't think he should necessarily be playing right now, anyways. And uh, if you could get Quentin Spain in there and then, you know, if you need an emergency tackle, I, I would probably roll with uh, with Trey Hopkins. It's a very interesting question. I mean, some people think Billy Price played really well. Uh, I, I don't know if I really want to get into that now or not. I think he did some things nicely. He definitely had some issues as well. The snapping problems in particular, like that's a prerequisite to play center. And so maybe he corrects that and maybe they're comfortable with Bobby or with uh, Billy Price at center. How, how much of a turnaround that would be for Price to get out of the doghouse of Jim Turner and, and earn that trust to play center if they have to play Trey Hopkins at right tackle. Now we're spending a lot of time here on a hypothetical, but that would be quite a story. What's more likely Billy Price is the next man up in, in the starting center. Let's say if Trey Hopkins has to move, or that he's the third third string center entering Sunday's game if BJ Finney's active. That's right. Who's inactive, right? Do you is that can we quickly go back to Billy Price being inactive? And that's the scenario because BJ Finney's the next guy. I don't know. I, I think we could still see Finney being inactive for a couple more weeks uh, unless they really need a guard. It, it's interesting to me because and again, like Jake said, this is all hypothetical here. It shouldn't spend too much time. But we almost got into that scenario last week when you know you're only going out there with your seven guys they had at the time, or was it six offensive linemen after Michael uh, Jordan went down right before the game? So it was razor thin last week. You got to think even this week, losing Fred Johnson is not going to help. 
So, Joe, to, to finish up the show, we, we spent a lot of time on this hypothetical, and I want to get to your expectations. But today, Paul Daner put out a piece on The Athletic that had all the coaches go through their favorite Joe Burrow plays. Shockingly, to, to me, uh, they didn't mention the play that James and I both hold in such high regard as QB sneak touchdown from week one. They did mention another, or sorry, a QB draw. They did mention another QB draw that he changed into. They also talked about some of the stuff you talked about where he sees the same blitz look and he, he's changing the play twice to he's going to change it. You're going to get that blitz look and he's going to change it again or he's going to change it and remember something he did previously and then change it again because he, he thinks that that tendency is on tape, which is some next level thinking like, oh, I, I think you think I think kind of stuff. But the coach has talked about it. James and I've talked about it. what was your favorite Joe Burrow play of the first half? Oh, easily. It's that one to uh, Tyler Boyd to really ice the game last week against the Titans. Uh, I saw it live. It's funny because a lot of times as the snap goes on or as a play goes on, if you ever watch with me, I, I can kind of like see who's open during the play. And I'm thinking like he's looking at Boyd, but then he's got to buy a half a second, right? He steps up and kind of like just dips under the pressure that's coming on the right side there. I'm talking about Burrow. And as he looks up to throw, I my eyes go back to Boyd and I'm like, he, what is, he's trying to get off this guy, but he can't. And the ball comes out and I just think it's going to end up incomplete. There's been a few passes this year watching film where they've landed in between two guys or you see the receiver stop and the ball just floats to nowhere. And I thought, I think Burrow's trying to lead that guy to the open area and he doesn't recognize it. Uh, but with with Boyd, their chemistry, man, has been A+. plus. So as, the, as he turns around and the ball just sticks into his shoulder, I'm thinking, like, I... I audibly you know made noises in the living room my whole family even my my son and my wife were like what how did he catch that I mean everyone recognized how good it was and then we got the end zone angle right and you saw how quick and early he threw it and how he floated it and I was like wow that's we're getting a couple plays like that's the extreme example because everyone could recognize it but we're getting a couple plays every week where I'm like that's the difference that guy is throwing guys open he's hitting guys that are covered and converting on third downs. And that is a huge difference between okay quarterback play, you can win with this guy, quote unquote, or he is carrying your team. And that's exactly like that play right there. I just I just sat back and was like, Yep. Again, once again, confirm it. He is the man. Yeah, that was actually one of the plays that the coaches talked about. They talked about that being something that you can't coach. It's right. a feel thing. They talked about all the time he puts into studying his wide receiver's body language and knowing when they're gonna get in and out of breaks and that's something that I'm excited to watch grow going forward. Speaking of wide receivers, John Ross? I don't know. James wants to talk about it. We're going to get into our expectations for the second half of the season coming up next. Oh, I was going to ask you about A.J. Green, but if you're like John Ross and you need to break through a wall, you can with Built Go. It's easy to take one and a half ounce packages. You could put it in your briefcase. You could put it in your golf bag backpack. Look, I use them as my pre-workout. They are perfect. It's the best workout gel on the market. Think of five-hour energy without the same crash feeling. Plus, it's natural, so it's better for your body. It comes in three delicious flavors, peanut butter, honey, chocolate, coconut, and my personal favorite, chocolate mint. Bilko combines energy gel with collagen protein and it is perfect for you. The collagen promotes joint, soft tissue, hair, and skin health. Check it out now at BuiltGo.com. Use promo code LOCKED. You're going to get 20% off your next order. Again, use promo code LOCKED for 20% off at BuiltGo.com. Let's go! 
If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. All right, Joe, let's talk about the elephant in the room. The beginning of the year, I said A.J. Green was going to go for 1000 plus. Jake said that he was an old man and he wasn't going to be able to move anymore. And Jake's more right than I was. I'm exaggerating clearly, but... The point is, is, A.J. Green doesn't look like his old self. When you look at the final half of this season, is there any way, any signs of him? Obviously, he had a couple big games in weeks six and seven. Uh, any signs of him or any hope for him to regain, maybe not his old form, but close to it and be that dominant number one type receiver? No, not. I wouldn't say in, even a number one. I think he's firmly planted as the number three right now. And the more he grasps that role, the better it is for this offense as a whole. Because I think, look at the couple of games he had, real big games. What they do? They get him in the slot, whether it's um, going out three wide and getting him just in that middle role, and then Boyd next to him in, in what would really be the slot, and then running slants and inside breaking routes and getting linebackers or safety or, or getting some off coverage on him by bunching guys up. I think that they understood we need to jumpstart him, and we'll do it this way by, by getting him you know, uh, free releases and a little bit more space to operate. That worked. And then that worked for two weeks. You really can't go three weeks in the NFL trying to do the same thing without teams starting to adjust. So going into the bye week, coming out, what's the adjustment there? That's another thing that we could be looking at. How do you get A.J. Green going? And now they've kept mixing in a couple, maybe one or two deep shots a game or, or down the field throws. And he's come down with a couple back shoulder type things. But the ones he's had to go up and get physical for, he's you know, striking out every time, basically, you can say he hasn't connected on any of those. And he even said on the one against the Colts, I believe it was, that he's got to go up and make a play on that ball. He's right, because if he's not going to get the separation, then he's got to be tough and he's got to be strong and he's got to be confident. I think the part of that is how did he get hurt, right? A year ago, a year and a half ago now, was going up for a sideline ball coming down weird on his ankle. That could happen at any time. So he may not feel the most confident doing that. But if he's going to make plays down the stretch and really make a career for himself for the next two or three years, wherever that may be uh, in the NFL and whatever role that may be, he's going to have to be that possession, big body type of guy that we haven't seen yet. So um, the jury's still out. The, the evaluation is ongoing. Yeah. I talked about one of the things that AJ Green can still do on an episode sometime in the last couple of months, and he still has a body control. He still has the hands, like hypothetically has the hands anyway. There's no reason that that deteriorates with age. We have seen the hands be a bit of an issue this year at times. But the one thing that we hadn't seen AJ Green do, and, and shout out to Zim if you're listening out there. You you asked me in a DM the other day, a couple of weeks ago, have you seen AJ Green jump this season? Have you seen him try to high point a ball? And at the time, I was like, I don't think I have. But then last week, I think against the Titans, he he had one play where he actually went up for one. He didn't come down with it. But I remember DMing him at the time, like, oh, A.J. Green jumped. And uh, to your point, Joe, about him needing to be more comfortable with that, I, I think that that is certainly something that it appears he, he is not comfortable with right now. You know, we talked about he should have jumped and come back for that deep ball uh, that, that he tried to, quote-unquote, late hands. 
And, and we still haven't seen that from him, especially as a vertical receiver. But speaking of expectations, you did a poll a couple of weeks ago or maybe a week ago at some point. How many wins do you expect in the second half of the season? A lot of people have been in my mentions saying 8-0. A lot of people are saying, I think they can win five. I think they'll beat the Steelers once. I think they can beat the Ravens when they play them again. And uh, I know some some listeners out there get you know a little irritated with me when I say uh, these games I, I don't lean win right now. Maybe maybe it changes later. But w- what's your thought? Where where are you at for the rest of the way? Are you at the four win mark? They'll they'll win one they should lose. They'll they'll lose one they should win. They'll win a couple they should win. They'll lose a couple they should win. Or do you diverge from that significantly? Um, I always fall in the craziness will ensue which means basically that like that they're going to win one they probably shouldn't and maybe that's the Dolphins game right that's coming up the Dolphins actually look pretty good um maybe that's the Ravens or Steelers maybe I think the Bengals could go 0-6 in this division and somehow we feel better about this team than we did last year but it's only because this division is really good and they already lost two games to the Browns so I look at it like it's a pretty easy schedule when you factor in the NFC East you could probably beat every team on the list there. Does that mean you will? Probably not. Let's say they go 2-1-1 one, and one with the Eagles game being a uh, tie. Uh, that's okay. You know, I, I think if you would have told me five and a half wins, which means they win three in the second half and go three and five, which sounds terrible now, but if you told me five and a half wins coming into the year, I thought six was reasonable. Uh, and they completely botched three of them in the first half of the season. I would say, all right, that's fine. That's progress. That means they're scoring points. That means they're they're a better team than they were last year. I also put up a poll a couple weeks ago. Is this team better than they were last year? Is, is the 2020 team better than the 2019 team? And it was like 97% said yes. So wins and losses are secondary this year in terms of, of what are we looking for, what do we want? Now, having said that, when you botch three games – and you beat the Titans, I think we can look at this and look at an easy second half of, of the season and go, yeah, if you guys don't go out there and win a handful of games, go four and four, or if you do, I shouldn't put it put it on the negative light. If you guys go out there and go four and four, I think people will be really excited about this team. And I kind of think that's where the bar should be because despite all of the injuries and despite everything that's gone on and you know, rookie quarterback and coaching staff that st- certainly – uh, has its question marks, they are right there in so many of these games. And so if I'm Zach Taylor, I think I want to show the Browns, hey, I can win close games. <laughs> and that record, that one-score record is just, we were really bad in year one. And uh, the other thing, and I think this was something Joe coming into the year, and certainly over the past month, they've done a good job of it since that week nine or week five matchup against the Ravens. Zach really needs to show he is the Sean Payton to Joe Burrow's Drew Brees, right? He needs to be that guy and show it. And, and I think he's done a good job over the the past couple of weeks, but I, I, that needs to continue, right, in the, in the second half of the year if this is going to work the way Bengals fans hope it's going to. James, I think that's a great segue to how I actually want to end the show. Joe, since you're here, I want to go through the coaches that that people might think are on the hot seat. I want you to give me a temperature. Or, or okay. like a, a from from cold to to lukewarm to hot on that scale, warm, cool, whatever, for the coaching staff. If it were you making the decisions, okay. So if it were you making this the decision, let's start 
on the defensive side of the ball. And I, I don't really know how much of the blame goes on the positional coaches on the defensive side of the ball. To me, it's, it's schematic problems if it's me making the decision. So let's just go straight to Lou Anarumo on defense. I think it's uh, hot. I think the seat is hot. I think if you go two seasons of having a bottom tier defense in, in a lot of the most important ways, which is uh, uh, rushing the passer and third down stops, uh, and then the other part is turnovers. You'd like to get that. They're really, it's Jesse Bates saving this entire defense. And if he doesn't make a play, we're kind of like, uh, you know, hopefully the offense messes up. And that's just not a way to play. And, uh, I, I think it'd be very hot for me for Lou Anaruma because I do believe you can get a new guy in here at and turn it around. Defense is volatile in terms of year-to-year mm-hmm. stats or year-to-year rankings. You can be a top-10 team the next year you're number 20. But if you spend two years in a row being, let's say, generously 24, 25th, 26th, best defense in the league or worse, um, that's generally a sign that he is not going to turn this thing around. And I would, I'd pull the plug after this year and try and look for some for an upgrade. Okay, let's go to the offensive side of the ball. To me, there's only a few question marks that that we can really point to and say these are things that have been problematic. Let's let's start with uh, the offensive line. Jim Turner, people know that you and I both were not fans of this hire when it happened. Have recent weeks changed your perspective at all, or, or where would the how hot would the seat be if it were you making the decisions for Jim Turner? If you would have asked me two weeks ago, I'd have said steaming, piping hot, as hot as it could possibly be. Get him out of here now if I could. I'd only bring it down a couple degrees because I still don't believe he's a good coach. And there's the other part is they turned it around as best as they could last year in the second half of the year. If they do that again, it's good, but it also raises questions of, dude, why isn't this happening in the offseason and in the beginning of the year? You can't punt the the offense for, for eight games because you can't figure it out or get the right guys in here. So it's hand in hand. Get them to play well, the unit to play well, but you've also backed some bad players that have held this offense back and you've, you know, bypassed, at least I think in my mind, some free agents or draft picks that probably could have helped you in the last two years. Uh, I start to question, you know, is he the guy you want to build? Because there's two parts to it. Maybe he can coach and get this unit a uh, band of misfits to hold it together and gel together for uh, an offense to at least be successful. But he's also a big part in the evaluation of bringing in the right guys and keeping the right guys. And I'm not sure he's the right guy for that at all. Okay, last one. We're going to skip over Brian Callahan because I'm not sure that there's really enough to, to say for him. But he's kind of attached to, to Zach Taylor either way. I think all these guys are sort of attached to Zach Taylor. And we'll see what happens with loyalty versus merit for for this Bengals coaching staff in the offseason but let's stay on Zach's Taylor I, I think that in real life his his seat is is cool I don't think it's started to heat up at all for the front office I think that next year is when they'll start to you know t- play with the stove a little bit if 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 they start to but for you where are you at on Zach Taylor I'd have it as lukewarm and uh, I mainly because I think the jury is still out. You know, I want to see these final eight games. When, a couple weeks ago, when people were like, "Oh, just fire him," I wasn't there yet either. I was. I want to see the evaluation play out because he kind of has to be the guy. And what I mean is, if you've got a, if you subscribe to the idea of you have got a four to five year window with your new quarterback that you drafted number one overall, well. Here we are. The window opens next year, whether you like it or not, whether this team is ready or not. The window opens next year for you to make a run. And if Taylor isn't the guy, uh, if you hold him for an extra year, well, now you just take a year off the window again. 
and it leaves you with two or three years to, to step through it. And then you got to hire a new coach, which means you probably don't win it year one with him. So you end up with a, a very tight two-year window. And that's very hypothetical. But if he's not the guy, it's very problematic for this franchise and uh, not stepping through the opportunity that every team gets when they draft the right guy at quarterback. And they got a cheap quarterback that can really take you uh, places. So I want him to be the guy. So I want to give him these final eight games to make sure he is. But... That doesn't mean it. this seat couldn't get really hot at the end of the year if it was me because I'd want to know, is he the guy or not? Now, if he goes out and goes 4-4 four and four and beats some good teams, one of the division opponents, that'd be great. Uh, maybe, you know, beats the Steelers once would be awesome, win some close games. Things get better, whether it's on the offensive line or defense, or and or he's willing to fire Lou Anarumo and Jim Turner because I'm not sure he's been able to or willing to at this point. If he does those things, I would – bring down the temperature on him and say, okay, let's go another year and figure out if he's the right guy. But if they continue to put up points in offense, then I at least feel good about that side of the ball. And there is a mixed bag of defenses to do it against in the back half. You get a couple of really soft opponents and a couple of really hard opponents and just want to throw out again. I think Miami is actually pretty good. And that is not one of the soft opponents. Joe, thanks for coming back and joining the Lockdown Bengals podcast. As always, a pleasure to talk with you. Until next time, Bengals fans, who day, and have a good one. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.